everybody this is jason roberts with the jason roberts band thankfully reeve and the trib team will leave the singing and fiddling around to me and i'll leave them to serve up your news of the week here's your host reeve hamilton Ha-ha. thank you this is reporter reeve hamilton here with the Tribcast for the third week of july i am joined by editor-in-chief and ceo evan smith hey reeve reporter jay root howdy and reporter julian aguilar hello thanks for joining us everyone he's so psyched that he's back in austin well, we haven't had Julian. Already. That's what Are you drunk asked. already? Yeah, we haven't had him this, on for a long time since he lives in El Paso. This podcast recorded live at the Jackalope. <laughs> That's a very local reference uh, for people in Austin. Yeah, we wouldn't want to say anything on the podcast that only three people get, <laughs> Reeve, because that would be wrong, right? You know, I just think we should play more broadly. Not really. Let's just, let's just delve right into pretty in-the-weeds politics stuff, shall we? Jay, maybe you could update us on, since we've getting campaign finance reports back from the last reporting period, who, between Greg Abbott, who's Republican, running for governor, and Wendy Davis, the Democrat, who raised the most money? Well, funny you should ask. Um, that, that's actually a point of dispute, as you might imagine. Um, Wendy Davis is uh, claiming credit for $11.2 million, and Greg Abbott uh, says he raised $11.1 million. So, um, Wendy is claiming that she raised that amount of money. Um, however, there has been some uh, complaining and some, uh, I guess, discrepancy about what should be counted and what shouldn't be counted. We also, you know, in, in a way, kind of burying the lead here because the the really huge figure that needs to be talked about in a way is the $35.6 million dollars that Greg Abbott reported having in the bank. And as far as we've been able to determine, um, that's a record. Um, I don't, I mean, Tony Sanchez spent $70 million in 2002, but his cash on hand was his personal bank account, which is formidable. And he never just, he never left money in the bank. So, um, but, you know, going back probably, you know, ever, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody has ever put together a war chest that large. And the practical consequence of this is that it costs, it's estimated, about a million dollars a week to advertise in a market as big as Texas if you're running for statewide office. And if Greg Abbott didn't raise another dollar for the remainder of this campaign, he would have so much money to spend on statewide advertising that it would really overwhelm whatever the Davis campaign attempted to do. Now, she does have a fair amount of money, and by comparison to Bill White, I believe that the uh, Wendy Davis supporters were tweeting the other day when the numbers came out that at this point in the campaign, Wendy Davis has already raised more than Bill White raised for the entirety of the campaign. But it gets to how you calculate that number. It does that get what to it how is? you calculate There was no battleground Texas right. at the right. time. How much of that is actually in her campaign? Or how much does she have access to? Mm-hmm. Now, that may be an— She Im- has $8 million or so, eight, in between 8 and $9 million in her— own account for Wendy Davis for governor and her Senate account, which has almost $4 million in it. Um, So between those two accounts that she completely controls herself and nobody can, 
but her yeah. can decide what to do with that's eight million dollars. But she will benefit from outside spending, absolutely, on her behalf. But so theoretically would Abbott, and that thirty-five million dollars doesn't count anything that American Crossroads or the Coke-funded super PACs or any anything else that anybody does on the conservative end of things. Correct. Outside money would presumably be deployed over and above that thirty-five for Abbott. Correct. Right. So and it's that, not that apples to apples. Well, and that's where the rub really comes in. Is like okay, so battleground. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I totally remember, or I think I remember, Jeremy Byrd, uh, the consultant for Battleground, a former Obama guy, saying that this was not a, that Battleground was not about one candidate. It was not about one election, that this was an effort to turn Texas blue or to at least make Texas more competitive, uh, more hospitable to the Democratic Party. Um, and that this is a, the kind of grassroots infrastructure that is supposed to outlive uh, one candidate. And as I recall, maybe, again, I'm hallucinating no, here. No, but of course you're right, because Battleground came along before Wendy Davis did. Right, right. It t- came before Wendy Davis. And the, and the other thing is is that, um, you know, this is so- something that's supposed to last for a, a really long time. And the, and the reason that they started this joint fundraising effort, the way I it was told to me, is a lot of Democratic donors didn't want to invest all of their money into one candidate that then after the election's over, it's just gone and there's nothing lasting. So is the Vanderbilt so, campaign also counting some of this outside money as part of their effort? They are not. They're not. They are not. Okay. Um, and, so, and so, you know, what the, I've, I've gotten quite a lot of pushback, as you might imagine, from the Democratic side. And they're basically saying, look, you have to count every single dollar. Everything that we're doing is to get Wendy elected. But a lot of this, some of this money was not in-kinded to the Wendy Davis campaign. I mean, for example, so there's consultant fees. Uh, fundraisers are getting consulting fees. They're holding, they're, they're registering voters. They're holding uh, education-type little seminars for people to get to become voter registrars. So there, there's a whole lot of infrastructure here that's supposed to benefit everybody that is the kind of thing that a party would normally do, like a Republican Party. So my question is, if you're going to count this for one candidate— uh, on the Democratic side, should we go in and say, okay, well, you know, actually the Republican Party has a field program. They've got a voter registration effort. Do we have to count that for Greg Abbott? Because obviously they all want Greg Abbott. I mean, yes, they want uh, other candidates to get elected. They want John Cornyn to be reelected, but they uh, th- it's for everybody. Look, in in the end, what you said at the beginning, I think, is probably the relevant point to, to take forward, the which rest is, is just fluff. leaving aside the question of math, um, the, the, dif- the difference between how much money he has and how much money she has is significant, right? Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and given the fact that she has a larger hurdle to get over, uh, uh, the, the, the math problem that she has, we've talked about forever in a state like Texas right now, um, the fact that she has such a... a, a, a gap to, to make up and won't make up in fundraising, you know, she was never going to have as much as he did. She was going to at best have enough. And the question is, does does this point her in the direction of having enough? Maybe, maybe not. And, but, and, you, and you, know, you don't always don't have, you, you know, money doesn't always win. I mean, you have to have enough money to get your message out. And I, I think it's fair to say that she'll have enough money to get a message out. Um, you know, it's it's if you have one really just great effective ad, um, 
you know, that, that, that can have an impact. But, I mean, Abbott can, like, rotate an ad. He can rotate ads. He can he's find got, out what he's got. He's got so much money, he's running movie theater trailers, right? The number of six-figure donations that he has received is just extraordinary. So you and I were looking the other it's day at the, we're looking at the list of the, of, the, of the donations to the Abbott campaign this last period. It was 12 different $250,000 individual donations that doesn't count the hundreds or the 75s or the 50s there were 12 $250,000 donations in this period if you took out the trial lawyers and the unions and the uh, comparable kind of institutional givers the largest gift that the Davis campaign got from individuals is $50,000 but they were touting their large number of small donors, mm-hmm. right? So they're sort of sure. hitting you with a different message. They're saying it's not about large donors, right? And the, and the Davis campaign is fine to say that, and the Abbott campaign says it's about in-state donors, and they've got a ton more out-of-state money than we do, and it's kind of the same narrative that you've yeah. heard about fundraising. Of course, it's not, it's not about anything specifically until that thing decides to give you tons of money. Well, and I think you have to give uh, Wendy Davis credit for these small donors. That's something that is really unusual. We haven't seen that. I've never seen that in, in a Texas race. I mean, that that was sort of one of Obama's great innovations. And, was, how, and Howard Dean, in fact, back in '04, right before. Yeah, before I mean, that, you know, really, really, you know, and and, and, and we the, haven't seen that in a Texas race on either side or in the Democratic side. On the Democratic side, uh, I, I think Republicans have done better with small donors than you know the sort of the mom and pop business Main Street type donors. But but I'm talking about like a national phenomenon and having um, people like really get invested in her and 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 she sort of became a superstar right. and and so um, we ha- we actually have not seen that. So that that is that is new. And are they that, counting? That's Wendy specific. Are they counting people buying the Vogue magazine she was in as in kind? contributions to her campaign no but they did count uh willie nelson uh two hundred and fifty thousand dollar uh uh contribution which was in kind which was him so, doing a concert uh, him doing a, a a concert right and so you know the, I mean, you have to put some value on it right and it's got to be i guess a fair market <laughs> why didn't they just put a two million dollar value <laughs> yeah, i mean i'm mean, assuming if, if anybody knows the street value of things it's probably willie <laughs> yeah. um but but two hundred and fifty thousand seems low to me. Actually, you you sort of show up at Willie Nelson's agent's door and say we'd like Willie to play a concert for us, a benefit concert. You think you can get it for two hundred and fifty thousand? That's super cheap. Yeah, I guess. I you know I, I, twenty music. I I, I I think it's it's worth pointing out though that uh, that a, a pretty large, uh, there was also a hundred and forty thousand dollar in kind donation from Steve Mostyn, who is her largest donor. Um, so you have. You know what? What is that? What's three hundred and seventy thousand okay, dollars so, in kind that they're counting as part of their fundraising, right? Account. Which eclipsed, you know, Abbott. So, so you I, take I that think out, and you're down below. 11. Well, and, now he had he had a lot of in kind stuff too, but there wasn't sort of this Willie thing like two fifty, and there also wasn't you didn't you didn't have one of his largest donors giving an in kind donation of that size. Is Ted Nugent um, more and, like a seventy five k? I think Willie should have said that it was four twenty. That's how much it was four hundred and twenty thousand dollar in well, kind. Also, as a that percentage, would have generated better press. As a percentage, <laughs> as a percentage, the uh, the Wendy's in kind contributions were larger. So, anyway, what about what about further down the ballot? How about how are the Vanderpuy Patrick dollar figures? Well, Vanderpuy's doing fine. It looks like relative to expectations on raising money, and she's got enough money to be 
as competitive as she's going to be able to be. I, I'm I'm fascinated by the Patrick Vanderpeet race on a lot of levels because if you take the conventional wisdom of the Davis Abbott race that it's effectively an Abbott win in the absence of a precipitating event, then the sh- focus shifts down to the next race on the ballot, which is the lieutenant governor's race. And while the polling shows Patrick ahead of Vanderpeet, in fact, in our poll, I think he had the largest margin of any of the statewides, was Patrick over Vanderpeet. At the same time, there's this perception that, you know, Boy, this race is fluid. Something could happen. No evidence of this, but just this sort of sense. Oh, you know, something could happen here, and she's holding her own on the fundraising side, and just this opportunity. You know, it remains to be seen whether there's really anything there. But, you know, she did fine, and the numbers, the fundraising numbers were more more parity, right? It was more parity in the lieutenant governor's race. Than it didn't do anything to hurt the uh, VAT perception based in reality. No. Whether it is or not, you know. Was there anything surprising in her report? I mean, it's because you've heard a lot about some Republicans that are going to side with Vandy Pute over over Patrick. Has anybody? Everybody wants. In? Everybody wants to know whether that story that the business community or that the, you know, that some prominent Republican Hispanics are going to cross over mm-hmm. and support whatever else that that's going to somehow make this big, make this big difference. I, you know, we've heard some big names unconfirmed oh, who are supporting but, well some some have said that they're going to support it it's yeah just, and there are some, adi- in, there are some additional names who are kind of like you know consequential republican brands who oh, i'm going to support and presumably there'll be some people who won't say it out loud but will mm-hmm. in the voting booth go uh, you know whatever but if, if you assume that the democrats begin at about 42 43 percent based on hist- recent historical trends you got to get a whole lot of those people to change the math of the election and you know that, that's the, burden, the, the burden is still on right. Democrats that, to prove that these races are competitive. That, that's the real problem. I mean, you know, you have Abbott sitting on this huge war chest, and he's going to be on the airwaves. And, you know, how many of those people can you get to switch off of Abbott? You'd have go, to have go, Abbott Van Depute voters. Right, exactly. And there's, right? I, I just don't know how many of you those You remember back are. in 98, you had Bush Sharp voters. You had, you had a certain number of those. It's not it's not impossible. And in fact, in Wendy Davis's senatorial district, the last two elections, you've had Davis McCain voters right. and Davis Romney voters. It's not impossible to get people to split their tickets. Well, but there the burden was on the Democrats to prove that they're going to get enough of those guys. Well, Bush Benson wasn't it? Bush Benson in '88. Do you remember that? I mean, that was well, and, and if, there and he won. Benson won. Right. So if they report their fundraising in a way that people can sort of pick at and pick apart, does that hurt their ability to? prove that it is a competitive race? Does that hurt the narrative if they're trying to establish that we are competitive, we are? If, if well, the Vanity people, people had to answer Julian's question, because I've not actually spent a lot of time poring over the reports. Alexa Ura, who reports on the lieutenant governor's race force, has done much more reporting on this. I'm just flying You're over You're just a this. guy. I'm just a, I'm just a guy. <laughs> but you can be sure that if in the Vanderpeet fundraising report were prominent Republicans giving significant contributions, you heard they'd be that. flying yeah. a plane over the Capitol with a banner that said that. And I think so far it's not really been about the individual contributions. Would that really be the best use of those Republican donors' contributions, <laughs> though? A plane. It's like 1920, <laughs> right? No, I agree. I mean, you know, it, look, if, if polls in October are showing that Dan Patrick is winning this easily – the the, the the big money donors, are, you know, they're not going to be taking any kind of risk like that. They've got too much at stake. Just got too much at stake. They're not going to risk putting their necks out there. And, and then the lieutenant governor, the future, you know, the next lieutenant governor is going to remember all of that. Of course. Well, let's move from politics to real issues that are happening now. Right, because there's no politics caught up in the right. border or anything. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. not at all. So we have Julian with us, which is a rare treat. And, well, uh, thank you. 
So we haven't been talking about the border as much because you haven't been with us, but you are here now. Uh, is there a resolution in sight? We know we hear about this every day. Surely it must be coming to a nice, clean end. Yeah, yeah, it's going to happen uh, any day now. I, no, I don't, I don't think so. Um, just saw before coming in here that uh, now the Republicans and the Democrats are pretty much going to be locked into a staring contest because of what the Republicans want to see um, attached to the supplemental or not included. But basically, and you know, I was thinking now it's my time to talk. You guys say campaign finance; it just goes way over my head because this this border issue has been there's there's so many sort of angles to it. There's so many stories, and every single day it seems to either you know grow or change or something else comes. But um, it seems like it's going to be a, a, a big mess right now. I mean, you have the Cuellar Corn and Humane Act, which would pretty much um, repeal a 2008 provision that requires that unaccompanied minors from non-contiguous countries um, are turned over to ORR, the Office of Refugee Resettlement and Health and Human Services, unlike Mexico, where they're automatically sent back if they waive their their right to a hearing or whatnot. Um, And I think that is in itself going to be, you know, at the state level, we call it a Christmas tree. I think that might be used to attach a lot of different things or trying to move a lot of certain things. Uh, Chairman McCall has promoted his H.R. 1417, which is a border security bill. That got bipartisan support. But um, it just there's just so many layers to it. There's so many little little nuanced things going on down there. And, you know, caught in the balance, you know, the Democrats say there's a 22-year-old Honduran woman with two kids and so that scared out of her, you know, out of her wits, doesn't know what to do. And on the other side, you say, hey, well, what about our public schools? We've got to take care of our own first. And it's there's just a lot hanging in the balance. I, I thought yesterday, as we sit here on, on Thursday morning, I thought that the news yesterday that Ted Cruz was going to introduce his own legislation on this to the right of the legislation that Cornyn co-authored mm-hmm. kind of come back to this question of okay let's not talk about politics of course this is politics the Cruz Cornyn dynamic as revealed in in all this is just absolutely fascinating to me well I mean the corn the I mean the Cruz thing likely isn't going to get anywhere obviously when the, when, when the Senate no it doesn't but when the when the right. see but sometimes you win by losing when the Senate he's bill proven that a couple different mm-hmm. times since he's been in office when the strategy. Senate bill when the Senate bill came out uh the Senate Bill uh, or S 744, the Immigration Reform Bill, more than a year ago. I mean, he he was probably one of the first ones. You know, five amendments, very extreme, very to the right of where everybody else was going. I mean, you know, who knows the Quayar Cornyn thing might you know will go anywhere. There could be you know other watered down versions of it. But yeah, I mean that you know that goes to show how far apart they are on the issue. Cornyn was in El Paso visiting Juarez, and he actually like praised what the Mexicans were doing and, you know, he said things are different there. And he got a lot of heat from Republicans for that, for saying that, you know, Mexico is actually a safer country. I think, Perry, I wonder if you all think this. I think, and I suspect, Reeve, you talked about this to some degree last week when the president was in town. I have no idea. I think Perry has had a very good week. You know, um, we did talk about that. Perry, Perry, and I, but I think it's continued. You know, Perry had an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. This is on, another week. You know, on, on whatever day it was uh, this week, and has continued to make the rounds on television. You know, Perry needs to differentiate himself from a, a very formidable field of people who are looking at running for president in 2016. This is an issue that, by all rights, should be his. It should be a Texas issue because we are disproportionately involved in this conversation. You know. People remembered him from the last campaign as the guy who couldn't count to three and, you know, constantly made gaffes over the course of the thing, couldn't beat Herman Cain, you know, which is not an impressive outcome. Now he's actually – he looks like he's gone toe-to-toe with the president. He looks tough. He's, you know, he's compassionate but also, you know, he's, he's rock-ribbed conservative. And I actually think that Perry comes out of this whole thing looking – Looking good, and also by not being in Washington, is not caught up in all this legislative back and forth. That but Cruz... do you think do you think Obama played it wrong by not going down to the border with him? 
I think Wendy Davis would say that Obama played it wrong. I think that there are Democrats who've said that Obama I think, didn't. I think there are a lot of Democrats on the border that said that, you know, say he played it, it wrong. Bad, yeah, it was a bad right. move. Going back to what you said about the governor, I mean, I, I agree that right now, but how long is it going to last? Because he is not giving any different answers. He's, you know, his the, the border's not secure. He said that. He keeps saying it. Send a thousand uh, National Guard troops. It's like, okay. And and during the, the, the committee hearing, I mean, Congressman Vela asked him, said, Governor, you know, we appreciate what you're doing and DPS and we're all on board, but what is going to happen if you send the National Guard down there? First of all, they can't really engage in law enforcement activities. Chairman McCall said, if we need to free them up to do more than, you know, than, than push paper behind desks or whatnot. So that's that's what they can do now. But Congressman Vela asked the question. He said, so say you have a thousand National Guard uh, troops on the border. It's not going to change the people that are coming over. You can't, you can't, you can't put them on Mexican soil, and all they're going to do is they're going to receive more and receive more and receive well, they, more. They just they turn themselves in. That's, That's what's what so do. ridiculous about this argument. I mean, the unaccompanied minors turn themselves in. They're, they're looking. That, 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 that's just more people that they can turn themselves into. They're turning themselves into, into parks and wildlife, to local right. PD, like, to I DPS. Mean, they, they look at the first with guy a with a badge, yeah. and they're like, hey, take me. And, yeah. they, and they, they know that, that we have this process that – uh, set up for that. I mean, the real problem is a judicial problem. They need to have more people to process this. And of course, the law makes it hard to do it quickly. Um, but again, the, the other thing is, and I, and I realize that this will never take off in a way um, that would, you would have to do to, to have a real debate about this. But I can walk you, we, we can walk out of this building right now, and I can take you to five job sites within a half hour where there are undocumented immigrants that are being gainfully employed. I'm sure, by the way, the Texas Public Policy Foundation building being constructed across the street, everybody is legal. <laughs> yeah, right. You're like not, the ones who are painting the Capitol. Yeah, exactly. Right? You're not, you're not yeah. suggesting that. <laughs> You have no evidence of that. It's another very sure. local reference. Um, I mean, you know, look, we, <laughs> we, we, we set up this uh, huge wall and all of these obstacles, but if you can get across it, our message is we have a job for you. And, 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 well, that's, and that's why the business community has been so quick to break with the most conservative elements of the Republican mm-hmm. Party, because the business community is saying, from an economic standpoint, the question of what we need to do is, from their, they say, pretty obvious. You know, we have a workforce issue. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. But it seems and, like and, even that issue is not the issue that we're dealing with with no, the kids. I was, I, These kids are not looking well, for. I was, was going like, to say, oh, I got to leave Central America to get a job. The, the Republicans that have, that have sort of you know kind of gone on their own or gone away from the extremists on immigration reform in general, yeah, they're kind of stuck right now. Like you got the, the business bibles and badges people are saying, all right, we, all right, we need to be compassionate. But yeah, I mean, I agree with Reeve. A three or four year old, or you know, with his mom. Or a twelve-year-old, or even a fifteen-year-old. I mean, they're not. They're, I don't think they're necessarily here looking for a, for a construction gig. Um, and now that, that Senator Cruz has has kind of stolen the microphone for a little bit and said, "This is what I want to do," I, I can expect that you're going to get a lot of people to to repush the question about, "Okay, well, is it fair?" The, what what how Cubans were treated? You, Jay, you and I tried to press them about a year ago mm-hmm. on the Cuban Adjustment Act, and because a lot of people say, "Hey, as long as you get here and you're Cuban, that's a year of amnesty. You don't mess up, then you know you go through the process." Uh, I already saw the United Red Dreams say, you know, right before we started this podcast. So that kind of adds another layer to Ted Cruz, and and I mean, is it going to answer the question this time? Because I don't think you or I, you or I ever got a direct response about the Cuban situation. Right. Well, there's a lot of inconsistencies in immigration law. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, if you're from one country, you're treated different from another country. I think that that's lost on the average person. And also, there, there's also no debate. There's zero debate that I've really heard about the fact that, let's face it, we're buying the drugs that they're selling. Yeah. And that they're trafficking. Is he, mean, and, is he meaning we like yeah. that? People in this room? Yourself. Like Todd. Todd. Todd's all hopped up right now. And, 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 and a lot of the reason why we have this 
uh, violence in Central America is because we spent how much was the Merida plan? Fifty billion dollars. No, no. Medi, that was it was a it was a drop in the bucket compared to what, the aid that we gave. It was it was, and it hasn't even been completely dispersed. And that was just mainly to Mexico. But, um, but I mean, we're, we're, but what I'm saying is, we're, we're we're spending all this money to sure. squeeze it in Mexico, and so they've moved a lot of their operations further south. And, and there you know. there are a lot of people. Some uh, Carlos Specter is an immigration attorney in El Paso. Deals with a lot of these Mexican exiles that are coming over, and he says, look, when the, when the military got to Mexico, to it was you know that's when the violence increased. So he's waiting to see how much aid does the Central American governments get? Are these going to paramilitary groups that are actually fostering this fear? I mean, you see a lot of these uh, uh, Central America. I forget exactly. Um, where it was published, but they were saying, okay, well, why doesn't the, the United States, you know, do a sort of a plan Colombia type in Central America? And a lot of people are saying well, that's when the problem is going to actually um, explode if you get a lot of these these corrupt governments with more more resources. So, you, you just raise the cost of doing business, which yeah. means that the price of drugs go up and the profits are big, and you're gonna you're never gonna. I mean, you think we're gonna eliminate illegal drugs? Yeah. Well, this just shows you how impossible this issue is right because like in the last what 10 minutes we've just gone from secure border security to the war on drugs to the cuban judicial appointments you know listen it's even it's even worse than that because again come back to politics this issue is being litigated in the middle of a political season Mm -hmm. where nobody wants to do the wrong thing as far as november uh, 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 comes around right i mean past november whatever else people are not thinking about the long term they're thinking about november and so the idea that the president's going to score anything that can be seen as a victory in pushing his end of this, whether it's the amount of money he's asking them to allocate as an emergency appropriation or any policy things, we're shut down basically as, as a government between now and November because of the election. Well, it, is, isn't there going to be sort of a moment too, though, where like the Hispanic caucus is going to – haven't they broken ranks with him over this uh, $3.7 billion? They, yeah. They, is he, so is he going to be able to get it through with, with, with like the Republicans are going to do it over the Democrats? And even no. the Hispanic caucus is not 100 percent united, No, right? it's not. There are differences I mean, within the caucus. The, the, the yeah. chairman of Hossa, you know, gave, gave Congressman Cuellar a, you know, a verbal shellacking after the, the Cuellar-Cornyn bill. And, the, you know, they're split. Congressman um, O'Rourke is not part of the, the caucus, but he's a border Democrat. I mean, he's he's split with, with Congressman Cuellar on this, and uh, yeah, <laughs> you want to go there? No, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> go where? About how Rourke is not part of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Oh, because he's Robert Francis Rourke. Anyway, getting sidetracked <laughs> there. But yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of division. So Let's no, I don't know. And then what you said, the House Republicans are saying that's way too much money. You know, now he wants more money to to fix a problem that he creates. Like, well, and Mr. Speaker, this was a 2008, you know, law that but, he's enforcing. But the well, cherry on the Sunday, as far as that goes, is they say the president won't act and the federal government won't do anything. So the president puts a plan forward, and they say we can't pass the plan because we don't trust the president yeah. to enforce the law. Sure. So they hold him accountable for not doing anything, and when he attempts to do something, they say we can't approve that because we don't trust him to actually follow through on what he says he's going to do. And then so, he says, I am enforcing the law. It's a 2008 law. And they say, can't you take responsibility the for anything? Politics of yeah. this, <laughs> the politics of this are going to get in the way, and they're going to make it so that you know, this remains an open wound or an open sore for the balance of the, of, of the, of the year. And I'm, I'm just not terribly optimistic about doing anything. Now, you mentioned earlier something about uh, 1,000 National Guard troops. Did I not read um, – that a bunch of the young members of the legislature, uh, Krauss and a bunch of the other guys, uh, said that they signed a letter asking for some kind of uh, state action in the absence of federal action. But I continue. Was, 
I mean, there was an online petition that was crafted a while back. Yeah. That a bunch of them. I, don't I, know I continue to not. wonder. So, is there is there a way for the state to to step in and in the absence of the federal government, whether it's through Perry's initiative or the legislature? Well, this, this, what, this, what, can, the, what can the state? do? The big three allocated some money. Yeah, it's one point three million a week. Step, right. step in and over do what? Time, though? Step over in time, over time, just add more boots on the ground. Yeah, that's to, to to more badges so that people can turn themselves into more people. I mean, yeah. you know, the one thing they could do, which is worksite enforcement and e-verify that nobody wants to do that oh god no we can't we can't we can't we can't actually go to these worksites hey, root hardliner yeah you set it off the but i mean wow. it, it, he's exactly right all the state can do as far as uh, the state uh, law enforcement they can't they are not they they cannot legally enforce immigration laws so, like Jay said, they'd just be taking more people in, and if and if and if you would just concentrate on the border security aspect of it, then again, it wouldn't pertain to these kids or these family units that are coming in, you know, unless they caught somebody within these ranks or something that had a warrant or something like that. But you know, you're going to sift through all these folks coming through; it's just not going to happen. This may be because I just uh, am often busy following other stuff. But uh, how did this? Obviously, this is a slow-building issue, right? How, how did it suddenly become so dominant in the media just the, in the last the, month The or numbers so? of people that, has really that's, gone up. That's right. what it is. I mean, right. you're right. I mean, this has been going on, and we've seen uh, pictures of the of the train, you know, for years and years, La Bestia. And it's, you know, you have groups and this and that. I mean, now it's just like there is no space on top of these things from, like, the mm-hmm. recent pictures. So that's exactly what it is. And a lot of people on the border are saying – it's it's like the meeting of the five families almost you know like the the cartels had to have some All agreement all godfather references so, are appreciated enormously well, I appreciate that um but he like even likes godfather 3 really do you I really do. wow that's you a guys, horrible movie. The, the, the it, first, is, it is not the first two a, it's are not, great. It's not, it's not a horrible movie. movie. I mean, Joe Montana is great in that movie. Eli Wallach and the Poison Cannoli. You want to actually talk this? We, we could do a whole podcast on this. But yeah, are you just trying to get movie. Eli Wallach sympathy right now? Because he died a couple weeks ago. Yeah. No, it's a great movie. Go back to the go yeah. back to the actual. <laughs> anyway, stuff. so I, I mean, people. Small it's like detour. it's. It, it is a small deterrent. I mean, it's 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 almost like a joke, but it's like they, it's some agreement had to have been made between the criminal organizations that start in Central America and go all the way up. I mean, I, I would ask, I asked a, a woman from Honduras. She said, "No, no, no. We we knew we, we knew to get smuggled by the Gulf Cartel because the setas are more expensive or they're more dangerous or you know it's a right. different sort of bribe system once you get to Mexico and across the river, but." Everybody is making money. I mean, whatever cartel group is, mm-hmm. is smuggling these folks, corrupt Mexican law enforcement, or they're taking these bribes. I mean, it's like it's almost like you get a pamphlet. It's like an installment plan. Like at this level, you have to pay off this person, this person, this person. So, so some message was out. Everybody said, "All right, let's just make a bunch of money," and then they started coming by the thousands. As as well as misinformation has been widely reported about what. The, the president's policies. The president will push back on that, and I don't think that a seven-year-old Honduran kid knows what deferred action is. But there are campaigns saying, "Hey, United States is pursuing immigration reform. Now is the time to act." You know, it's like if you act now, blah blah blah. I mean, it's it's we're kind of making light of it. It sounds like, but that's really what's going on. There's so much so much well, confusion. Business. Yeah, I'm, but well, I mean, and, and the violence has really increased has. a lot. I mean, H- they're, Honduras. They're just, I mean, statistically, is the most violent country in the world according to the right. 2014 UN it's report. Just right in our hemisphere. It's Pe- not far from here. People at all. talk about. Mexico, which is still violent, I think their homicide rate is twenty per hundred thousand. Honduras, it's ninety per hundred thousand. And and they're all and, and so many of our uh, homicide. Do you mean, so mean so hours in this tripcast? <laughs> yeah, it's about to go up. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, you, gonna, you want the final word, Jay? No, I was just going to say it's like all we're all hitting the Rio Grande Valley <laughs> because that's the closest point for them. Yeah, no? yeah, it's the quickest. It's Are the you going to talk route. about UT? 
We don't really have time. Do you want okay. me to do? A, a, now that you've mentioned it, should we uh, just do one minute? No. They're about. To, they're expected to name a new chancellor at the UT system soon. The UT system has all, all sorts of uh, problems getting along with UT Austin administration, but that seems to be perhaps calming down. Although we've said that before, and it sounds like uh, you know either it sounds like Admiral William McRaven is going to be named the next chancellor pretty soon. But if not him, maybe Richard Fisher from the Dallas Fed. Uh, well, so stay tuned for that. We don't have time to go into it now, but honestly, we've talked about it a whole heck of a lot here on the TribCast <laughs> before, so just go back and listen to old episodes. In the meantime, you can send us your what questions kind, and what comments. What kind of life must you have if you go back and listen to old episodes of the TribCast? A life that is rich with, uh, you know, auditory Sitting alone in your apartment eating cat food out of the can, maybe? Shut-ins? And great other great people. And great people. Yeah. Shut-ins, notable, influential folks. Anyway, so why don't you send us a little bit about yourself to Tribcast at TexasTribune.org. We'd like to thank Shiny Rose for doing our music. And on behalf of Jay, Julian, Evan, and our producer Todd, who is not buying drugs from anyone, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening. Okay. Okay.